listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. So continuing in the cheerful words of Ecclesiastes, I'll be reading chapter 1 and into chapter 2. I said to myself, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a chasing after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and those who increase knowledge increase sorrow. I said to myself, come now, I will make a test of pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But again, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my mind how to cheer my body with wine, my mind still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly until I might see what was good for mortals to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and delights of the flesh, many concubines. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure from all my toil, and this was my reward from all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had spent doing it, and again all was vanity and a chasing after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly, For what can the king's successor do? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise have eyes in their head, but fools walk in darkness. Yet I perceived the same fate befalls all of them. Then I said to myself, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said to myself, that this also is vanity. For there is no enduring remembrance of the wise or of fools, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How can the wise die just like fools? So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a chasing after wind. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Jim, for that reading. 
So um, that was a lot. That was a lot to take in. And, and full disclosure, it's never going to get old for me to, like, read this terrible stuff and then just say, thanks be to God. Like, there's, there's like, a, a sick little joy in that. You know, um, we're all going to die and be forgotten someday. Get it. Um, I hated life, and everything was grievous to me. Thanks. Thanks be to God. I like that. That's a, it's a rhythm to get in, maybe, in life. I don't know. Um, Pastor Alicia's got that sacred rhythms group starting. I wonder if that'll... That probably won't be one of them. Um, <clears throat> we are in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, we introduced this book last week, and if you weren't here, I really want to encourage you to go on our website, pull up the podcast feed, and listen to that sermon you missed, because um, we laid a ton of groundwork for this book and this study. At the core, though, the heart, the key message of Ecclesiastes is that life is temporary. Life is fleeting. Nothing lasts. Does anyone remember, and don't give it away on the slides up there, does anyone remember the Hebrew word that that he uses to say this? Hevel, that's right. Um, Hevel. Everything is hevel. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Whenever you see the word vanity, Uh, in your Bible, or in some translations it might be uh, meaningless or pointless. Um, It's the word hevel, and who remembers what this literally translates as? Anybody just shout it out. Vapor. Vapor. Yeah, vapor, smoke, hevel. It's all hevel. Everything in our life is vapor. Our lives, all the things that we work for and earn, um, the things we value, It lasts for a moment, and then it's gone. Vapor. The teacher of Ecclesiastes is lamenting this state of existence, the way that everything is vapor, and he aims his lament here at wisdom itself. I'm going to reread a piece of this, starting in verse 16. I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, And my mind has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this is also but a chasing after the wind. For in much wisdom there is much vexation. And those who increase knowledge increase sorrow. The word of God for the people of God. (laughs) Thanks be to God. So um, the teacher here is channeling some serious King Solomon energy. Uh, If anyone knows the story of King Solomon from the Bible, he's remembered as, you know, one of the greatest kings of Israel. He's actually kind of a terrible person. Um, But he's remembered as as being this incredibly wise figure. Interestingly, though, the author of Ecclesiastes never calls themselves Solomon. They never come right out and say, by the way, I'm Solomon. They only call themselves the teacher. But they're definitely wanting us to think of Solomon as they write these words, sort of channeling Solomon's spirit, I guess. We've talked about wisdom a lot over the last few months. We're in the midst of this year-long series on the wisdom tradition from the Bible. Um, And now, here in just the second wisdom book in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes calls BS on the whole thing. We've talked about how wisdom doesn't equal intelligence, right? That was, that was a point we made back with Proverbs. Being wise doesn't mean being smart. Plenty of smart people have zero wisdom. I think we used Elon Musk as an example. And boy, uh, that has, that has just, just reaped dividends since then. 
But wisdom does not mean being smart. Wisdom is about how we live, living a good life. Wise people have this understanding about the way the world works, what it takes to construct a good life, a life where you honor God and honor your neighbors. This idea of putting good out into the universe so that you will hopefully get good back, that's wisdom. We tracking with this so far? Awesome. The teacher tells us that he has acquired great wisdom, which is debatable based on what he lays out. But he says he's devoted his life to it. He surpassed his peers, everyone who came before him. He's used his wisdom to acquire all this wealth, treasure, resources. He's built buildings, planted vineyards, and in the end, it's all hevel. It's all smoke. In the end, we're all just going to die and be forgotten. The wise have eyes in their heads, verse 14. But fools walk in darkness. Yet I perceive that the same fate befalls all of them. Then I said to myself, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? It's pretty bleak, right? Like, ah. Before we go any further into this too, I want to make sure that we understand the difference, the contrast between Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. I want to make sure you have this in your head that you're thinking about this. We just spent, what was it, eight or nine weeks in the book of Proverbs. And according to Proverbs, wisdom is everything. Like, like sell it all and get wisdom. You know, devote everything you've got, your time, your energy, your life, to acquiring wisdom. And then Ecclesiastes comes in and is like, eh, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Now, as Christians, we like everything to fit, right? We don't like dissonance, especially in our Bibles. Uh, We want the answer. Tell me which one is right. If modern-day Christians had put together the Bible, there's no way Ecclesiastes and Proverbs both make the cut. No way. Like, are you kidding me? We wouldn't have kept both these books. We We probably would have ditched Ecclesiastes and gone with Proverbs because it's got a more positive message, right? Like, that's what we would have done. And that's why I'm so grateful the Bible was not compiled by modern-day Christians. I am very grateful for these ancient Jewish rabbis, these sages who preserved these books, collected them, compiled them, and who said, we need both Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. We need both of these. And you know what? We're going to stick them right next to each other just to mess with the Christians. That's how I imagine it going down anyway. It would be a lot easier if all we had was Proverbs. The message would be super clear. Pursue wisdom and everything will be great. But Ecclesiastes comes in and forces us to count the cost. It forces us to ask the question, is wisdom worth it? Is it worth all this work? All this struggle and the pain to honor God and live a good life? Is it worth it to do the right thing if we're still going to be dead someday? Uh, A few weeks ago, I watched the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once. Has anyone seen this one, by the way? One person. Great. This should go well. Um, I can't exactly endorse this movie from the pulpit. Let's just say it it earns its R rating. Um, But it was a fascinating movie, unlike any film I've ever seen. The movie is all about multiple universes. 
and these people who are able to travel between different universes. There's a universe where humans have evolved with hot dogs for fingers that squirt mustard and ketchup. It's a, it's a really weird movie, you guys. <clears throat> but there's, there's two different characters we meet. One character sees all these different universes, how small and seemingly insignificant our world is, and comes to the conclusion that it's all meaningless. It's all pointless. Might as well burn it all down. But then there's another character, the hot dog finger lady. She sees how big the world is, how vast and interconnected all these universes are, and concludes that our existence, as small as it is, is a gift. That's the core conflict of this movie. That's the argument this movie is having, and the same argument is happening in our Bibles between Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, which I think is amazing. But it still leaves us with the question, is wisdom worth it? Is it worth it? If I really wanted to be biblical, um, I wouldn't give you an answer to that question. Because the Bible doesn't, right? The Bible just sticks these two books right next to each other and lets us grapple with it. If I was a Jewish rabbi and this was a synagogue, we could like end the service early, go do gathering table. We just go home today never knowing the answer. But I'm a Baptist pastor, so I've got to give you something. I'll give you something. Um, <clears throat> let me make a few observations. Let's uh, analyze this text together for a bit. Um, first observation we've got to make. Even though the teacher basically relativizes wisdom and folly, it's all hevel. Even so, the teacher still insists that wisdom excels folly. Wisdom is still greater than folly. I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly, and I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. It's all hevel, it's all vapor, Nothing is going to last, but you're still better off pursuing wisdom than folly. Your life will probably go better. You will probably have a better go of things if you choose the path of the wise than the path of a fool. The way he arrives at this conclusion, though, is interesting. Uh, verse 3. I search with my mind how to cheer my body with wine. My mind's still guiding me with wisdom. Sure it was. <laughs> And how to lay hold of folly <clears throat> until I might see what was good for mortals to do under heaven during the few days of their life. So this guy dabbles in folly just to see. It's like an experiment. It's like if one of your friends said to you, I think I'm going to try alcoholism for a while just to see if it can bring some meaning to my life. Like you, you would probably call somebody, right? Uh, maybe, the, maybe the teacher just needs a therapist. I don't know. But this guy dabbles in folly. He tries on hedonism for a while. He satisfies every desire, acquiring wealth, land, slaves, other people, treasures, concubines. Again, serious Solomon energy here. But in the end, it all leaves him feeling empty. Wisdom excels folly as light excels Darkness. <clears throat> Another point we can make here is that wisdom is painful. We get this right from the opening of this section. In much wisdom, there's much vexation, and those who increase knowledge increase sorrow. It is painful to grow in wisdom. 
It hurts. We learn the most, usually through the most pain. We get wisdom from failure often. Sometimes I think it would just be easy to, like, stay happy and ignorant, right? Yeah. And amen to that. It's kind of like student loan debt, right? If you've ever, if you've ever experienced uh, the pain of student loans, you get an education, you invest all this time, energy, and money for this little piece of paper. Uh, it opens some doors for you, hopefully, but then you're fifty, sixty, dollars $100,000 in debt, and for many people, that debt never goes away. I know a lot of college grads making those monthly payments who found themselves thinking, was it worth it? Was my brain really worth all this money and pain? Wisdom is painful. Wisdom is also no guarantee of success. Just because you put in the work doesn't mean you're going to reap the benefits. Growing in wisdom doesn't mean life will be easy. Um, Things don't always work out. You can do every right thing in the right order at the right time and still wind up flat on your face. And maybe this is all because wisdom is hevel. It's vapor. Wisdom doesn't last, just like all gifts we receive from God. We made the point last week that you shouldn't put your faith in something that doesn't last, which is everything. Everything apart from God will eventually run out. The teacher is telling us that that includes wisdom. Maybe we could ask, what is it we want wisdom to do for us? Like, what are we looking for? What do we expect from wisdom? If you want to live a good life, follow God, live ethically, wisdom is great. It's one of the best tools we have at our disposal to do those things. But if you're looking for a way to make your life easier, if you're looking for a pain reliever, if you're looking for something that is just going to last and never run out, wisdom is not it. That's not what wisdom does. Wisdom is also hevel. We could cut right to the chase and ask this question. Why do we follow God? Part of wisdom is about following God, following Jesus, living in a way that honors God. Why do it? Why are we in this Jesus thing? It's not Hevel. I think as Christians, it's easy for us to fall into a habit, right? Uh, It's easy. We go to church, take communion, sing the hymns, read the Bible. We try to follow Jesus often because that's what we've always done. It's the habit. It's the pattern that we're in. Very rarely do we stop and consider why. Why do we do it? What Ecclesiastes does, though, is it comes in and confronts us with this existential question. You're going to die someday. So why do you do it? Love lasts. lasts? I like that. I'd be interested to know what the teacher would say to that, but but I, I agree the love of God lasts. Absolutely. So I think, hopefully this is making us all uncomfortable. It's making me uncomfortable uh, as I was working through this this week. I think some of us point to the afterlife, right? Like, um, it's not all vapor. Some things do count for eternity. Uh, Ecclesiastes has some thoughts on that. In a few weeks, we're going to get into the teacher's thoughts on the afterlife, which is fascinating. That's going to be a lot of fun. But... 
It's one of the things we might point to. Maybe it's fear of hell that, that motivates us. I don't want to go to hell, so I might as well follow Jesus. Kind of like working just hard enough not to get fired, right? Like, I'm not, not sure that gets the best results. But, like, if you grew up in an evangelical church context, if you were told as a child that you had to say this prayer, believe these things, or else you'd go to hell, fear of hell might be the thing that's motivating you. Uh, personally, I have never found fear of hell to be very compelling. I, th- I think it gr- comes from growing up with an atheist for a father. I've seen how ineffective fear of hell is. I've seen it not work. There's a billion Muslims in the world who think we're all going to hell. That didn't scare a single one of you into a mosque this morning, though. I have, I have Southern Baptist friends, friends who think I'm going to hell because I'm the wrong kind of Baptist, you guys. Fear, fear of hell loses its sting when enough people tell you you're going there. Maybe it's the flip side, though, the promise of heaven. I know I'm really pumped for heaven. I read Revelation 21, this vision of Christ coming to uh, establish his kingdom on earth, this beautiful vision of heaven and earth coming together, the dead being raised, the righteous reigning with Christ forever in in a reality with no pain, no fear, no tears. Sign me up. That sounds amazing. But that's a pretty long time to wait, hopefully. Like, I'm, I'm relatively young. I'm 37. Hopefully, I have a few decades before I have to think too seriously about heaven. So why not just follow Ecclesiastes and embrace hedonism in the meantime? Like, like I, have a, I have a friend who, uh, he's, he grew up in church, but he's not, he's not on board with it. And he always says, I'm just going to wait till my deathbed and, and pray and tell God I'm sorry. And I'm like, but that's not far off from Ecclesiastes, in a sense. Some of us are faithful to God because we think it's going to benefit us in some way, right? Like maybe, maybe if I mind my P's and Q's, if I say my prayers, go to church, follow Jesus, maybe then God will bless me. Maybe things will work out. And uh, we'll get to Job in a few months. But good luck with that one. There's one thing I know about following Jesus. Uh, It doesn't make life easier. So why do it? I'll give you my answer, personally. I follow God because of what God has done in my life. The way God has shown up over and over and over again. When I've been at my lowest, when I felt all alone, like there was no one in the world who cared or understood me, God was still there. I think back to our New Year's service a couple weeks ago, all those testimonies that you all shared about how God has been working in your life this past year, how God's been showing up. I follow God because of that, in response to that. I follow God in response to what God has done in Jesus. I devoted my life to this Jesus thing because I find Jesus incredibly compelling. The idea that God would take human form, that God would enter into our experience, enter into our suffering in order to redeem it. A God who expresses solidarity with the poor and the marginalized, slaves, exiles, prisoners. If you ever read the prophets of the Old Testament, they're always telling the Israelites to remember. 
Remember what God has done for us. Remember how God delivered us from slavery. Remember how God preserved us through exile. Remember God's promise to bless all the families of the earth through us. I follow God as a response to what God has done for me in my life. And I believe that wisdom is a gift from God to help us live faithfully. It doesn't always make things easier. A lot of times it's going to be the opposite. Like every good gift we we receive from God, it doesn't last. Don't put your faith in the gift of wisdom. Put your faith in the giver of wisdom. But if you're looking for a tool that's going to help you live more like Jesus, wisdom is indispensable. If you're looking for a way to respond faithfully to what God has done in your life, accept no substitutes. It's not a quick fix, but it's going to help you follow Jesus faithfully. That is the invitation wisdom makes to every single one of us. And personally, I believe it's worth it. Let's pray. God, again, we thank you for the gift of wisdom. And Lord, thank you for the gift of this life. As short as it is, as frustrating, as small as it can feel at times, Lord, we know that this life is a gift from you. God, help us to honor that gift, to see value in it, Meet us when we are feeling jaded. And God, more than anything, give us wisdom to respond faithfully to what you've done for us, what you've done for the world in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.